They will put you out of the synagogues and give you hours coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I've said these things to you, and when your hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I have not said these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. This is God's word. I mean, I feel bad for Jesus that he was hated, but 
tell them that mercy is actually more important than obedience. Obedience should flow from love, but mercy is really important. And they really didn't like mercy. They liked uh, the harshness of the rules. People should just do the right thing. We, we should love them if they do the right thing. It's kind of what they today, truthfully. And we're, we're good now. We're going to break some of the laws, but not the bad ones. So other people should be like us. So the Pharisees did Jesus, but also the liberals did Jesus, the Sadducees. They're like, I can't believe that he actually believes the Bible. And there are a lot of aspects that they watered down and they basically curved and said, hey, what, how do you believe is really not important? And Jesus said, no, how do you is really important? That God made you go from him. But not only Jesus think about the religious things, but also think about the power. I mean, ultimately, it was the Romans who killed Jesus, Pontius Pilate. Why did Pontius Pilate kill Jesus? I mean, when you talk to him, he's like, this guy seems a little crazy. He's nice enough. He doesn't seem like a real threat. But he does have a large following. And this is an opportunity for me to kill someone who might you know, distract others from what I want by creating an uprising. And so he killed Jesus. Now there are tons of examples of Jesus being hated. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, the Pharisees were really angry at Jesus and they wanted to kill him. And they also wanted to kill Lazarus to hide the evidence. And that's just one really small example just from Jesus raising somebody from the dead. So Jesus says, if they hated me, they also hate you. So why would we be hated? Well, this, and this is where it gets a little bit uncomfortable. Jesus says, the first reason we'll be hated is because we're not of the world, because we've been chosen by God, verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. What's he saying? It's pretty clear. Part of the reason why, if you're grounded in me, in my gospel, in my mission, while the world's going to hate you, is because you don't belong to the world in its ways. If you did belong to the world in its ways, it would, it would love you, it would champion you. But because you're not of the world, because God shows you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now this is where the challenge to me, and I don't know about for you, some of you, uh, you know, may not care who anybody likes you. Some of you just got gave you that kind of personality, and there's something good about that, there's something bad about that. For me, God gave me a personality where I like to be liked. When people don't like me, it, it like really troubles me. And I feel like I need to go knock on their door or try to make it right or bring them cookies or something. I don't know. Tell them a joke, give them a fist bump, high five, whatever. And honestly, I want unbelievers to like me. And so I try to be their friend and try to connect with them. And, but sometimes that doesn't work. And sometimes I want to curb my message, the message of Jesus, to kind of downplay the differences. 
But God, Jesus says here that when I do that, there's a sense in which I'm, I'm wanting you both to belong to the world and to not belong to the world, and that's not possible. Because God's chosen me out of the world to be different and to represent them in his message and his mission. And so the question that comes to me, and, and therefore also comes to you, is are you of the world? Does the world love you? Are you trying to be loved by the world for other reasons? Or to put it another way, does the world hate you? Does it tend to despise you? And if so, is it because you belong to the world? Have you been chosen out of the world by God? Honestly, those are questions that we need to not need to grapple with because it's easy to want to be accepted by the world. The second thing is, what is it to be hated for reasons other than today? And there are a lot of reasons why people might not be hated. us. We may do something to them that offends them. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. You may have a really bristly personality. People may hate you because of your bristly personality. You're great, you're mean. Uh, when I was uh, younger, I had a very good personality, and some people didn't like me because I was constantly like demeaning and just not fun to be around. It wasn't because I was Jesus that hated me, it was because of me being uh, very, very difficult today. But Jesus talking about the hatred of the world. Not because of our personality or because of our politics, but because of us being Jesus and living out his mission and being consistent with his message. When we tell people that they're not enough, that they're sinners and they need a savior, that's an offensive message. When we tell people that they're standards for the world, in the world, by God. And if we don't keep them, we're at odds with God. Some people get mad. We say there's a call to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. It's hard. And so we may be needed for all our sins. The second reason why Jesus says, first of all, Jesus says, why would we, why would we be hated? Because we're not in the world because we've been set apart and chosen by God. But he also says that they hate us because they don't know the Father, this is Jesus. He says in verse 21, But all these things they will do to you, persecute you, on account of my name, because they don't know him who sent me. At the end of the day, if people don't like us because we belong to him, because we're living consistently with his mission and his message, it's largely because they don't know him. If they know knew him, they would be grateful because they see us as emissaries on his behalf, trying to love them into his kingdom. But they see us as aside from their lifestyle, so they tend to be us just like they tend to be Jesus. It's so easy to forget that a whole crowd is demanding Jesus' crucifixion, crucify him, crucify him. We just feel loving people on finger because they're familiar. And yet we live in a consistent way. We should not be shocked when they pay and persecute us. So how about whom will we be suffering? It's very similar to Jesus. 
who will hate us and the powerful will hate us. Part of the thing that uh, the Bible tells us and we see in the book of Acts pretty profoundly is we represent a different empire, a different kingdom. And the world and the worldly leaders, even in America, even in a place that's kind of Christianized as been influenced by Christianity at some level, if we threaten those who are powerful with a, a greater allegiance for the Lord and toward them, they will often come after us to get us. And some of you may have been objects of that. We have, we've had a member of our church uh, who served for the military and he, um, he was he was actually a colonel at the time here at Barstow, and they asked him to do something that because he was a father of Jesus, he didn't feel like he could do. And he said no, and the people who were powerful said, hey, you have to do this. We were telling you have to do this. And he said, I can't even can I just do this because of my faith. And they said, well, we're going to have to put you under discipline and kick you out of the Air Force. And in that, he didn't do it properly in the morning, so he was persecuted for Jesus. This example of powerful, but the religious will also persecute us. Now, most of us tend to be relatively conservative, but frequently, even when we're conservative, get mad because why do you show mercy and love to the enemies? If you're friends with those who are on the other side of an issue, it doesn't click, so why would you be on their side? The frequent stance of people who are conservative that may lead to be hated. And there are also those who are more liberal beliefs in that age. This, this sort of thing happened frequently, not just to Jesus, but to his followers in the book of Acts, where they were frequently trying to kill Peter and John because they were preaching the good news in Jesus' name. And yet, in a way, differed from their theology. Tim Keller said, how to reach the West, you know, uh, short He said they were, their own church was despised by the world, and, and yet they were set apart in the ancient room for three, five reasons. One of those is the belief in sanctity of life, especially in the world. So they frequently saved the lives of babies who were being thrown away in the trash heaps. They were set apart because of their belief in sanctity of marriage and thankfulness and sexual ethics. They were set apart because of their racial diversity that existed within the church was often offensive to the culture. They were set apart in their radical generosity to the sick and poor, so that even the emperor would say, the Christians are not only caring for themselves, they're actually caring for our people as well as leading some of our people, talking about pagans, to join their movement. And they were those who were set apart because they were known for loving and forgiving their enemies. Now, one of the things Keller points out is the first two, belief in the sanctity of life and the sanctity of marriage and faithfulness and sexual ethics, tend to be really popular with those who are more conservative in theology and their politics, but tend to be despised by those who are more in their politics or theology. Uh, pursuit of diversity, especially racial diversity, 
tends to be popular with liberals, rather than generosity with the poor, that's what they tend to be known for, is their love for the sick and the poor, the marginalized. But sometimes that's despised by those who are more conservative. And yet, the last one, the belief that we are to love and forgive our enemies, that's popular with no one, Tyler points out. No one's forgiving and loving our enemies. And so, if you do these things, you're going to be angry. Now, there are a lot of different examples, even today, several years ago. In China, there was a pastor in an early reign church, and he was just preaching the gospel, and they told him to quit doing it, and so he said, I can't quit doing it, so he put him in prison and began to torture him. Why? Because he was a threat to their power. Because he wasn't conservative enough in their perspective. He was teaching them this forgiveness of sins. That would happen today. Here's a guy who broke in and 
killed some people in the midnight church, and, and they began to pray for this guy and for his family. And the world looked and said, hey, I don't understand what in the world you're doing, but it is compelling. It's weird, it's compelling. And when we do that, we begin to represent Jesus and his goodness in a whole other way.
harvest rather than gold and blood. I don't know what it is for you. You have your own struggles. We'll be more this for him. But here's the thing. If we show up, some crazy things will begin to happen in our life or also in the lives of others. And the biggest thing that will happen is the Holy Spirit breaks in through the door. It's really predictable. Every time a Christian, someone becomes a Christian, this happens. It happens quite frequently. We're sitting here talking to the truth and praying for them to try to love them. And maybe even they're hating us. And maybe our, our love and the love of being hated is really powerful, but it's not enough. But the Holy Spirit loves to take our brokenness, even our stumbling words, and use it to be the Father to draw people to Himself. And He loves, in the middle of that, to take our discouragement, our weakness, our, our recognition of our flaws, and to show up and remind us it's not about you, I mean, it's about Jesus. And He died for you, you think He would care for you and go over suffering as well. So why did Jesus tell us all these things? Why is this discussion important? Tell us that in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 6. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. We were like those who joined the army, we joined Jesus' army, as it were. And we thought it was all about joy. And Jesus said, I've come to give you joy, joy overflowing. And then you start experiencing some stuff and you're like, man, I, I did not sign up for this. I didn't sign up for the I wanted to be one of I thought it was going to be a few of the people liking me more. Jesus says, well, there's some people who like you more by Christ, but there's some people who are going to actually despise you because you're representing me, the powerful religious thing. So he tells us this to keep us from falling away. This is really important information. They're going to put you out of synagogues. That was coming, and whoever kills you will do so, even the armored service in God's name. Think about the Saul before he came Paul. Congratulations, you signed up to be killed, in other words. Right. They will do these things because they've not known the Father, nor me. But I've said these things to you that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I didn't say them to you from the beginning because I was with you. I'd say from the beginning because maybe you never signed up. That is part of what's being said. But now I'm going to the Father's sin to you that he's in the It's really important. So he's called us to join his mission to be his witnesses. And he tells us these things to show us Jesus who would not be weary in his heart. Hebrews 12, 1 4 you joined that army, Jesus, but now know that suffering is part of it, the Spirit will help you. That's what Jesus tells us. And so Jesus finishes his lesson, right? And this is this is the most amazing thing. You haven't heard anything like that. I've said it before you can even say this. Jesus finishes his lesson, right? Here in, in about being made. No, he's not done. How did he not finish the lesson? Because what he was about to do is critical to the lesson. Within days, less than a week, Jesus goes and 
They captured him and they began to persecute him with him. Common names mock him. They end up killing him. And the whole time, the disciples are getting more and more discouraged. We thought he's going to be our champion, and he's a loser. He dies a criminal death on the cross. They were getting really discouraged. They were fleeing from him in his time of need. And they went and buried him, and they thought it was the end. And what did the disciples do? They began to hide because they were scared to death. Literally, they were scared of death. Because they just killed Jesus and they knew they were probably going to come next. And then the craziest thing happened, right? The rest of the story. Because the cross is not the end. Because three days later, God raised Jesus from the dead. And the scriptures tell us that he raised Jesus dead to give Jesus the name that's above every name. So the name of Jesus, every name is going to bow. Every time it's going to confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. And when they saw Jesus the resurrected Lord, they were like, oh my goodness. They, they worshiped, but some of them were worshiping with disbelief. They're like, this didn't even make sense. So Jesus hung out with them for many days. Ate with them, talked with them. It's a resurrected human. And part of the thing he conveyed to them is this. Not only do we get our suffering, but you also get our resurrection. I'm making all things new. And so that when we join him in his mission, we get to be truth. And, and if you experience it deeply, it's like, I don't want this. I want to stay this. But we also get Romans 8. Where verse 18 tells us that Paul says, Look, I've suffered pretty great in this life. Water is finished. I've been pretty crazy. I've been stoning you and left you for death just by way of example. But I'm here to tell you that the sufferings of this present age aren't even worthy to be prepared for the glory of that being revealed to us. He does in Corinthians 5 that the sufferings of this present age are actually preparing us for way of glory that's beyond description. He goes on and says, well, in verse, God takes all things, makes all things for good to those who love him to be called upon his purpose, including the nature of suffering, right? Verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? We have a champion, true champion in our form. And then verses 35 to 39 is the climax. For in our suffering, we are more than conquerors to him who love us. For I'm convinced that neither life nor death nor angels nor demons nor anything in all creation can separate us from the love of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. So as Russia is what Paul said, continue to persevere, knowing that your labor is not going to be in vain. As long as you're rooting yourself in Jesus and his mission. So Jesus wants us to know that we're hated. Because we're joining in his mission and his suffering, we must know that we're not alone. That's what he says in Matthew 28 20. I am with you always, even at the end of the age. I suffer before you, but also risen again. And if you suffer with me, you likewise will share in my resurrection. That's why he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for my own sake. 
So in closing, this passage is a comfort in the following. The initial comfort is that when we go through suffering, we may be not alone. We suffer our pain because we belong to him who has suffered and was pain himself. And the calling is to be his witnesses, to represent him in his name, but also his redemptive suffering, loving him and being hated, to keep going as it were. Here's the final comfort. We have the Spirit of God to help us. In the sufferings of this world, the word of experience are not ready to be prepared to come into our glories. Six Africans, Michigan, right? God, I thank you for your word. <coughs> Jesus, I thank you that you didn't leave us in the dark, but that you told us that there would be suffering that we pursued you. And that that's part of the sign that we belong to you. That we're not out of this world. Lord, um, every one of us in this room struggles with wanting to be out of this world. It's kind of baked in to be Western and Americans. You didn't make it special. Now, you call us to chase after you. Will you give us your spirit? Overwhelm us with your spirit. We might know who you're yours. We might be so convinced of Jesus' presence and help that we persevere. Will you remind us also of the coming glories? That will fuel us embracing suffering. Embracing not being in the world, embracing human beings' lives by the world. 